Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Soulful Revolution, a podcast at the intersection of spiritual transformation and social change. I invite you to pull up a seat at the table as I speak with soulful revolutionaries whose lives are a powerful source of hope and inspiration for me, as I trust they will be for you also. I'm Lauren Grubaugh Thomas, a priest, writer, spouse, and twin mama living in Littleton, Colorado, on the traditional homelands of the Arapaho and Cheyenne peoples. My guest today is Gabrielle Rivero. Gabrielle is a non-clinician expert on helping adults and children learn how to recognize and release emotions in the body through movement. She's the founder of the Lene Release Method, which is a research-informed movement method that helps adults learn how to accept, express, and release emotions in the body through movement. She received her BS in recreation and event management with a double minor in dance from the University of Florida and received her Master of Art in Theology from Fuller Seminary in 2018. With her background in dance and her extensive research on the rejection of dance throughout early Christian history, she connects movement to the body and the emotions as she helps communities and individuals learn how to release, emote, and heal from traumatic and stressful events. Gabby, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I want to begin by asking you the question that I ask all my guests, which is to share what it means for you to be a soulful revolutionary. If you tell us a little bit about what it means for you to live at this intersection of spiritual transformation and social change. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Um, I, I was laughing about it when I first heard it because I kept asking myself, am I truly a soulful revolutionary? But I think as I think through it and I process kind of the work that I do and the spaces that I've engaged in, I think for me being a social revolutionary is basically being someone that allows for transformation to happen, that sits in the space to hold space for people to process, to engage with their themselves, to engage with the world, to show up fully as ourselves, naked and exposed, um, being vulnerable to the emotions, being vulnerable to our bodies, being vulnerable to the world around us. Naked and exposed. That's really striking because you include in your bio this line about having studied the rejection of dance. And I'd love to hear you share more about like why in spaces of Christian faith, has dance been something seen as, as dangerous, as problematic? Um, and how, how do you navigate that as you're welcoming people into the space that is naked and exposed, that is vulnerable? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And one that I could go, you know, hours on as I've done all this research on, but to give a short little (laughs) synopsis of kind of what has happened throughout history is really that as a society, we have understood movement as sinful. Have this language in the Bible and New Testament that we have this woman that is basically dancing. And in the Bible, it's very vague on the type of dancing she's doing. It's very vague on what is happening in her movements and her body. But she pleased the king. She pleased King Herod. And because of that, he then says, I'll do anything you want, right? At that time, it was, okay, well, I need, I want the head of John the Baptist. And we see John the Baptist being beheaded. And what happens often from that one passage of scripture 
is that so much of this idea of dance and comes out of that, that dance now elicits this sin, dance elicits someone doing anything that someone else wants. And we add up, we end up adding in all these nuances that we think was happening, which actually isn't even written in the scripture. And then we can even go back further to we look at early philosophers, we look at Plato, we look at Phaedo, and, and those early philosophers, they start giving this language of our bodies. And for these early philosophers, they saw our bodies actually as evil, as a way that was separating them from God. And as they saw the body as this thing that was disconnecting them from God, they tried to get further and further away from it. But what they were really doing was they were actually trying to get further and further away from their emotions. They were getting further away from the things that made them feel like humans because they wanted to be one with God. And what ended up happening is we end up seeing this long line of this, this rejection of the body. We see this rejection of the emotions. We start seeing this divide on how does movement engage with the church and even now we still have different denominations that still say dance is of sin, that that's not something that we are allowed to engage with because it excites the passions. And you'll hear that language often is that it excites the passions. So a lot of what my work ends up becoming is it ends up becoming a space to say, hey, your bodies are okay. Your bodies were made perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, and part of all of that is there's this there is a problematic language in the Bible that I think where we end up hearing so much of the body as being something that we need to destroy. We need to submit. It needs to be submitted under. It's something that we end up hurting. So then we end up having this relationship with the body that ends up becoming negative mm-hmm. where we see this body as this thing that we need to reject. And as we reject the body, we actually disconnect from it. And then we disconnect from the self, we disconnect from the emotions, and we actually end up getting sicker. All of our research now says that it actually ends up hurting us by rejecting the body and doesn't actually help us. So now we have to go basically go back in and say, hey, you've been trained and taught to think that your bodies are bad and they're holding these these areas of evil, but actually it's good. And you can't actually connect to God without it. That being one with the self actually allows you to engage with the world around you in ways that you've never even expected, never even been able to process. So a lot of it is is going back to that base of, hey, our bodies are beautiful. Mm. Our bodies are perfect. Mm. There's actually nothing wrong with the body. Mm -hmm. Engaging in the body doesn't actually take you further away from God it actually brings you closer to God. Mm. Wow. I I really am picking up in what you're saying, this idea of movement and dance being associated with violence, when in fact what you're describing is that all of what we're learning through science is that movement is healing. Movement is nonviolence. Movement is how we reconnect with spirit. Yeah. Yeah, it truly is. And and there is now a lot more research is coming out and saying this more so. There was a research um, article that came out recently, I think in the last month, where they were looking at movement in regards to dementia. Mm-hmm. And 
so much of what they've understood so understood as dementia is that it's the the lack of the body the lack of the brain starting to shut down um and even with parkinson's they're saying okay we look at parkinson's and it's the lack of the body starting to shut down and the body being unable to move but now research coming out the same when we move we actually receive dopamine Mm. that when we move we actually can engage with the world in a way that actually makes us feel better right in a way that actually makes us feel whole Mm. in a way that actually re-brings back memories to the brain that movement actually allows us to engage with the world in ways that we haven't even processed yet, in ways we haven't even engaged with yet. But we have been trained and we have been taught to think that it fits in this little box mm. of a sense of violence or a sense of of evil, a sense of that, that it just excites something, that it brings up sexual desires and what you'll see often. And it's like, well, actually, no, it actually allows us to connect to ourselves in ways that allows us to be whole and happier and healthier beings. Mm. I really appreciate that. I, I think a lot about the kind of stories that we tell being guides for the work that we do in the world, that, that we are limited by our imagination the, the 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 greater our imagination of what of what is possible for the world for our communities for our families for ourselves that is what frees us and allows us to move in in, in the world and through the world with courage and conviction um and when our imagination is limited like when we when we deem certain pieces of ourselves to be bad to be evil uh, we cut off a whole part of what might be possible um, in terms of creating change and creating goodness and creating healing in the world. And that's so much of what I hear you doing with express and release is creating spaces for people to reimagine what's possible for themselves as well as for their communities um, for the world. So I'd, I'd love, I'd love for you to share more about the work that you do, what, what does a day in the life of express and release look like? <laughs> yeah. So many things, um, <laughs> man. So a lot of my work ends up becoming exactly what you said. It's creating spaces for people to show up in the world with their full selves, with their full bodies. Um, it's really interesting. People come in because half the time people don't think that they, everyone feels like they're fine because they have been engaging with the world as they know how. Mm. And only when they get to a point where they're like, wait, it, something doesn't feel right. Then it's like, okay, well, let's start exploring that. And kind of, I, I tell everybody is I'm like, you know, the reality is we have been living in our world, in our heads. We speak with our heads. We walk, we, we look at things with our eyes and we stay in our little head space. Right. But learning how to engage the rest of the body, learning how to engage our fingers, our toes, our knees, our elbows, and we're being reminded that all of those parts of our body actually have, have, have space, that they should take space, that they engage with our whole selves. It actually allows us to show up in the world as a whole being. So a lot of my work is actually teaching people how to do that. How do you show up with your whole self? Because actually, as you show up with your whole self, you actually engage with movement. So much of this is reimagining movement. 
reimagining mm-hmm. dance. Because what we have understood dance to be is that it is in this box of ballet or jazz. So even when I tell people, oh yeah, I do therapeutic dance, they're like, okay, so you teach dance classes. And I'm like, no, 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 nothing close. <laughs> and part of that is because we do, we have this box of what we think dance is. I mean, that's part of why dance has been labeled as this sin for so long biblically because we automatically put it into this sphere of dance looks like this Mm. dance is ballet dance is jazz dance is hip-hop and it's like well actually it's not those are styles of dance but dance is actually movement Mm. actually the oxford definition of dance is that (laughs) it's movement or a series of movements that are actually done rhythmically to music and then Mm -hmm. i add in to silence or the rhythm of your own life Mm. so so much of what we end up doing is we're actually teaching people how do you engage with your own lives your own bodies and pull out your own dances learning how to walk with intentionality learning how to drink water with the whole body, learning Mm -hmm. how to drive with my whole self, right? Learning how to engage with these emotions that I feel as I feel them every day with my whole body, with my whole self. And sometimes that might mean that I have to refeel myself, like refeel hard things. Because what has happened is that I've shut down all these pains receptors in my body because I've, my body has become numb to them. I've become attuned to them in a way. And because I've become numb to them, I don't feel them anymore. So when we start re-engaging with the body, sometimes people often say, Oh, I now start feeling pain in different areas of my body. I must be doing something wrong. And I'm like, actually you're doing everything right. Because what our brains do and a lot of the work that we do is actually teaching people our brains are trying to protect us and the way that they protect us is they actually numb things for us because Mm -hmm. they don't want us to feel pain right they don't want us to hurt so as it's numbed all of these sensations in our bodies what my role is is actually getting those sensations to come back to life Mm -hmm. to recheck in and say where is that anger in my body where's that sadness where's that joy where's that hope and move through those things, learning how to move through those things with my bodies every single day. Mm. And that's really what my classes are all about. That's what we do in those spaces is we just give people access to start processing anger with movement, Mm. joy with movement, sadness with movement, grief with movement. And giving that intentional space of the emotions actually then destigmatizes it. It actually gives our body access to start engaging with it freely without fear or shame. Without fear and shame. Yeah. I I wonder if you could speak a little bit more about how these spaces help folks to heal from trauma. Um, Particularly as you're working with communities of color, with, with people of color who are coming in and, and are becoming aware of, of the trauma the, of white supremacy carried in their bodies um, and, what, and what that means for you um, as yeah. a Black woman to be doing this work, to be holding space for yourself and for others to heal from the trauma inflicted by the violence of white supremacy in our world. Yeah, um, 
I, I am glad you asked me that question because I've been finding myself now in a space and time where I am holding space for black women to process. Mm. So a few months ago, we ended up doing a research study on this method. So um, in my bio, you mentioned the Lene release method, right? And it's basically a six movement practice method that helps people process emotions to accept their emotions express them through movements, release them from the South. So we ended up doing a research study to see how effective is this? Because we were just like, you know, I put this whole thing together, did all this research, but is it does it work? And if so, how? So we did all the research, right? We brought in seven Black women and we said, let's try it first for this specific group of people. Mm. Let's just see how does it work in this context? How does it work in this space? I'm a black, I'm a black female. So I'm like, I understand, I identify. Let's bring in these seven black women that have some sort of black trauma so that they have to, so what I did, what that really means is that they've lived in America. Because <laughs> yeah. being in America as a black person, black female specifically, you're gonna deal with some type of trauma, right? So we invited them all in and we said, okay, we're going to start you here. We're going to go through these movement practices for the next six weeks. And we're going to see how you respond to your emotions, how you recognize them, how you release them. So they all come in first week. And we just like me and the researcher, we didn't really know like what was going to happen. We were just kind of like feeling it out. Like we're like, what is this? <laughs> so we all come together and I'm like, all right, guys, we're going to do this. And all these women come in and we start making our group guidelines because for workshops, we, we set up guidelines together as a group where everyone contributes to different things that they need for that space to feel safe for them. So everyone starts writing in different things and we start putting them all into a hat because everyone wants it to be anonymous. So they're like writing on a piece of paper and throwing it into a hat. And I'm writing out each person's thing that they need, each person's guideline that they want to include in the space. And as we're doing it, everyone's laughing and talking and we're in, we're, we're experienced community, right? And the researcher in the room, she's the only white woman in the room, and she's she's been doing research for years, and she stops and she's like, this is this is strange. I'm mm. like, what? I, I don't understand what's going on. And she's like, I've done research for years. I've done research studies with many different populations. She's like, but what I've never seen in a research study is Black joy. What oh, I've never wow. seen is a group of people that don't know each other come together and start collaborating and having community together just by being invited into the same space. Mm. I was like, wait, what? Interesting. So we, mm. so then we finished our first week and I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to start doing movement. And then we finished the week one and, and I stopped and I said, wait a second. I think what we just did is something bigger than we both realized we did. I'm talking to the researcher and she's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, we are giving Black women access to their ancestral roots that they have yet to tap into. Wow. I'm like, as a Black community, as African slaves, mm. we as African slaves, like movement was a part of our identity. Mm -hmm. It was a part of our history. And we have lost that. It's been stripped away from us through slavery. And in this research study, in this these spaces, we're giving it back. We're saying, hey, you are allowed to move your bodies again. Hey, you are invited to engage with the body again. And I watched these seven Black women 
go from, I don't really know my body. I'm not sure about my emotions. And and each week we discussed and each one's like, yeah, like it's difficult. Like it's difficult to process. It's difficult to express anger, et cetera. And we get to week seven, we get to week six and we finish the research study and every single participant was able to process their mental health improved. Mm. We started each person each week, week one, we gave them a PHQ-9 score, which essentially was a depression screening. And we said, okay, where are you starting at? And they didn't know. They they all were just filling out the survey. And every one of those Black women actually um, scored a eight or above, which basically means that they all were um, had moderate to severe depression mm-hmm. across the board. So these, and these Black women, none of them came in and said, I'm depressed. None yeah. of them came in and said, I had any problems or any issues. They just were like, I just saw your flyer and I wanted to try it. Mm. But all of them were actually, they've all scored moderate to severe depression. The end of our six weeks, we redo that same PHQ-9 score and every one of them dropped their score by almost half wow. across the board. Mm. That someone that started with an eight ended with a zero. Wow. Where we finished and we're like, wait a second, <sighs> we miss this in society where these women that have not had spaces to process, have not had spaces to be angry, because that mm. was a big theme that kept coming up, which all were like, man, like when we talk about emotions, they're like the emotion that we feel unable to process is anger. Like that's yeah. the scariest emotion to even mm. engage like we're afraid we're going to be labeled as the angry black women. We're afraid we're going to get the cops called onto us. We're afraid for our safety that someone might hurt us for being angry. So I said, okay, let's have let's let's engage with the emotion of anger together. So in this group, we start doing our dance on anger, and each person starts going on the room, and they're like, okay, and I'm like, how do you express anger? And I set the scene for all the little women, and I'm like, okay. You have your cookie, you're about to eat your cookie, and someone walks up and they spit on your cookie. How do you feel? And they're like, I'm angry. And I'm like, what do you do? First woman's like, I stomp my feet. So she starts stomping. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, okay, as a group, can we all now stomp our feet? Because now how our dance works is when each person does the movement, the group then responds to the movement, and we then mirror it back to them. So we all stomp our feet. So the next person, I'm like, okay, what do you do? And the next person's like, I go for a drive. And I'm like, okay, show us what that looks like. So everyone starts driving. So the third person goes, and she's like, I say, don't do that again. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So everyone then says, don't do that again. And then the next person goes, and I'm like, what do you do? And she's like, I yell. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, can you show me what that looks like with your body? And she just wails it out. She's like, ah. And it was at that moment that all six other people in that room felt very uncomfortable. You can mm. see their faces all feel like, I can't do that. Yeah. You want me to mirror that? Mm. And I'm like, yeah. So as we do, we're now going to all yell. And you can see them all like say it quietly, like, ah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's right. First time, like, no worries. But then we do our dance again. And then it gets a little bit louder. And they're like, mm. ah. Because every time we add on someone's movements, we go back through the dance. So we finish our dance now. We have now 10 movements between everybody in the room. And that the yell gets even louder. So then we turn our music on. 
And now the music now then really elicits the emotion. So now we're playing music that makes us feel a little bit angry and feels like we can get it out, right? So we then start doing our dance. And it was at this moment that I watched all seven of these women yell like nobody's business. Wow. And they let go. They mm-hmm. truly, I could hear the cries of like their grief. Mm-hmm. I could hear the, them letting go of their limits and they're just letting it out. And you could see all of them just finish and they just look so peaceful. And we discuss it after and they're like, I have never yelled like that before. Mm. Each woman is like, I didn't even know I needed that, but I need to figure out how to incorporate yelling into my life. I feel so much better just from doing this alone. Mm. And giving space like that, like that is what changes everything. Like, like for black people, women and men, we often say we don't have spaces to express. We don't have spaces to be angry, where we feel safe to process our anger. Mm. But uh, inviting people, men, women of all ethnicities to to come together and say, hey, express your anger, yell if you need to, let it out. That actually allows and invites healing into generational trauma. Yes. That people have not even been able to access. Ooh. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. Thank you for that image and and for that that window into that sacred space. Yeah. Mm. I I'm so inspired by that thread that you're pulling between the ancestors and the people that you're working with and the healing that then that then produces for their families and for the people who will come after. Yeah. That's breaking generational trauma. Yeah. And, 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 and so much now, like in the research now, we now see that emotions and trauma is actually stored on our bodies in yeah. our bodies. Yeah. Right. So if that's the case, then the question that becomes, well, then how do we access that trauma to mm. let go of that trauma? And mm. if we're only doing talk therapy, we're not actually engaging with all of those emotions that are stored in our bodies. Mm. If we're only going to the gym, then we're not actually engaging with those trauma because we don't, we're not giving ourselves spaces to process those emotions that come up the traumas that come up, we we are constantly in the push to the side, avoid the feelings. Oh, it's okay. I don't need to process it now. I don't want to think about anything negative. I hear that all the time. And I'm like, the only way the body heals is if we, if the negative is allowed, if we reframe from thinking as you're negative and a positive, and we start reframing emotions as just emotions. Yeah. They're all just blue. And there is no red, there is no green, it's just blue. Hmm. Whether it's anger or sadness, jealousy or fear, anxiety or excitement, they're all blue. And hmm. everyone needs to be processed, hmm. has to be expressed, has to be let go of. Yeah. But in safe ways, yeah. because what actually ends up happening, the reason why we end up pushing them aside is because we've expressed them in unsafe ways and mm-hmm. unhealthy. 
Mm-hmm. And then we've said, oh, okay, well, that's now bad. And it's like, well, no, it's okay to feel jealous, but it's not okay to now hurt our neighbor. Like that's right. what we don't want to do. But jealousy is a natural emotion. Avoiding it doesn't make the jealousy go away. Yeah. Hiding from it, compartmentalizing it yeah. doesn't make it go away. And that's where the violence comes from is in the denial and in the numbing. Yeah. Truly. The violence to self or the violence to others. Yes. So allowing the body to actually feel it helps us not react to it Mm. on ourselves or somebody else. Mm. Giving it a channel out because like I tell people all the time, the emotions are going to come out whether we like it or not. Now we have the option and the choice to choose how they come out, but they will come out mm-hmm. and it might be in a reaction, a reaction way where we're hurting somebody else or ourselves or the environment, or it's in a controlled way where we're deciding, Hey, anger, I'm inviting you to be present in my body in this space. And there's nothing wrong with you. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with the anger. There's nothing wrong with me for feeling angry. I'm allowed to feel that anger mm. and validating it in myself and in the community. Yeah. Well, and that makes me think of how you've done this work with your children. And I'd, I'd love to invite you to share about the way you practice this with your parenting, this, this, this method of expressing emotions and releasing them through movement, how you've learned this from your children, as I I know they've been teachers for you and how you are transforming the way that you parent. And, and again, breaking some of those generational cycles um, with your own children. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So a lot of, so I created this whole thing, right? Express and release. And everyone's like, oh, the master behind all of these things. But really, <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> it was my kids. Yeah. So I did all the research, right? <laughs> Looked it up. I knew all the things about Plato and Phaedo. And I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. And then I got pregnant <laughs> and I started having kids and I'm like, oh, no here come bodies. <laughs> right? like, what is that? And so last year, my kid at that time was four and he, and, and in our house, like I will give myself the credit, like in our house, we are very much like feel your emotions. It's okay. We have crying chairs, right? And like in our crying chairs, you close it and you turn. Mm. It's like all sensory. So he gets home from school and he's like, mommy. And he's just like being mean to his brother and he's pushing stuff. And I'm like, okay, you're not happy. I need you to calm down. Right. So I tell him, kiddo, go to your crying chair. You're good. Go process that. So I walk away thinking it's all done because I'm like, I handled it. He went to his crying chair. He's got this. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm like going out to get the mail, right? Right. So I'm getting the mail. And as I walk back in the house, like walk towards the house, I hear screaming and I start seeing things escalating. I'm like, are those pillows being thrown? Like what just happened? I <laughs> put a crying chair. How are we like breaking the house down? So I'm walking in the house and trying to figure out how am I going to manage this? And I'm thinking, because I'm like, well, I'm at this point, I'm fully aware that I don't want my kids to 
think that anger is bad. I don't want them to think emotions are wrong. So I'm like, if I yell at him, if I scold him, he's going to start thinking and start creating that that pattern in his brain that he's not allowed to express. And he's going to start thinking that if he expresses anger, there's something wrong with him. Right. So I kind of stopped in that moment and I just started pulling. Like, I, I honestly had no idea what I was doing. I just stopped and I was like, hey, shake the anger with your head. And he just weirdly stops and looks at me because he's like, what is my mom smoking? Where is this coming from? Like, we don't shake anger with our head. Like, that's impossible. But he stops and he's like, okay. And he just starts weirdly like shaking, just like <laughs> And I'm like, all right, this is kind of working. At least he's not screaming anymore. So I'm like, I'll just keep going. So I'm like, okay, now take it off with your shoulders. So he like starts pulling from the shoulders, just weirdly, just awkwardly like, all right, cool. So I'm like, okay, now get the anger up from the chest. And he's like, I don't know what she's doing, but I will follow because I guess I'm her kid, right? So we keep going and I'm like from the hips and he starts moving his hips side to side and I keep going until I get all the way to the feet. I'm at the feet. I'm like, okay, now with all your anger, get the anger with your feet. And he starts stomping and stomping and stomping. And I'm like, holy crap, this is working. So mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, with your whole body, let out all the anger from your body. So he legitimately starts dancing. Wow. And I mean, I have been a trained dancer. Like I have danced in all the spaces. And I watched my four-year-old child look like the most beautiful dancer I have ever seen. Without her going to a dance class, without needing any technique or training, but his body was just free. He was completely abandoning himself and letting go of all of his anger. And I mean, his lines were perfect, like just throwing them across the room. He was throwing himself on the floor, turning around, stomping and throwing his body around, letting out his anger. And I'm watching him. And it was at that moment that all my worlds just collided as I saw this kid that was literally angry five minutes ago, smiling, laughing, and dancing. And I did all this research that said, oh, the body and the emotions, everyone's rejected them for so long. And I watched it all just combine together. Mm. And I said, oh my gosh, we've missed it. The way to process our emotions isn't to reject them it's to express them Mm. and the way that he expresses them is with movement he literally took the anger from inside of his body out of his body and he finishes the whole thing and he stops and i'm like hey kiddo you're good like what was wrong (laughs) and he's like oh my head was hurting oh okay cool 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 wow he was able to speak what was hurting him he was able to speak what was hurting him mm-hmm. but five minutes ago he couldn't yeah he couldn't get the words out because he was so overwhelmed with the emotion yeah but letting the emotion out he then had the language to communicate and that's actually what we see more often than not people don't are unable to express what they need with words because they are full of emotions in the bodies. Mm. So we finished all of our movement practice and I'm like, okay, cool. We could do that again if you need, but like, I don't know what I'm doing. So the next day I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking 
and he hears me like being super pissed in the kitchen and I'm like ah, and I'm like doing whatever like just being annoyed and he's like mommy what's wrong I'm like I'm frustrated and he's like we'll dance it out touche touche so we did so I like went to the third floor of my house and I'm like let's dance it out okay mm. like let's do movement let's see what this feels like to get it out and that became the language of our home that for my at that time it was four and my other kid it was three we danced everything out so people would see me with my younger kid because my younger kid like Mateo before the four-year-older he you know he did it like he's like pulling out he's like cool this is great <laughs> my younger kid right he was like I'm not sure about this this is a little interesting. So my younger kid, what he does is actually interesting. And this is actually where I get the second practice of mirroring and dancing. Because my younger kid, I'm like, hey, kiddo. And he has, I mean, he was two at the time, I think, maybe a little younger. And he's having a tantrum. And I'm like, he like crosses his arms. So my response is, I'll mirror that back. Mm. So I cross my arms back to him. So then he goes, he yells. And he's like, ah. So I'm like, I'll mirror it back. I yell back with him. I'm like, hi. <laughs> and then he stomps his feet. And he stomps, stomps, stomps. And I stomp right back. Stomp, mm. stomp. And I was like, and then I ask him, what else do you need to do? Mm. And he's like, I feel good. And he walks away. Mm. And I didn't know, like, at first it was like, is that enough? Like, what is that? But now that child, my younger kid, is my emotionally regulated kid I think I have ever met in my life. That's that amazing. His teachers start telling me, they're like, what do you do with him? Mm. Because he's able to identify emotions in ways that other kids cannot. Mm. That when he feels sad, and this is, he's now four, like this kid, this is Silas, he's my younger one. He's four. When he feels sad, he can process his sadness feel it sit with it and let it go that even his mm. teacher ended up telling me she was like when I was at his school when we were all I was supposed to be helping out in the classroom he ended up crying it was a whole thing he was three at the time I was like I'm not doing this again so I ended up like leaving 20 minutes later because the teacher's gonna get anything done and I was leaving and he's like screaming and yelling and I'm like I don't know it's like I can't stay here to help you I need to go so I just end up going and I just hope for the best essentially and the teacher is like, I got it. Don't worry about it. So I'm like, okay. So she ends up walking away and I, I end up leaving. And about 20 minutes later, she sends me a text and says, Hey, everything's all good. I'm like, okay. Mm. So I get back to the school and she's like, I just want you to know what happened when you left. And I'm like, all right, sounds great. She's like, well, you left and he was upset. So I asked him, she's like, the teacher's like, so I asked him, do you like, what do you feel? And he said, I feel sad. And she's like, do you want to look at the, the sad page in the book? And there's an emotions book in the classroom. And we have the same one at our house. And he's like, yeah, I want to find the sad page. So she said, he opens the book, goes to the sad page where it talks about the emotion of being sad. And he looks at the boy on the page that's sitting under a tree that has a tear going down his face. And he just points at the boy and says, I feel sad. And he pulls the tear down his face. And he points at the boy and says, I feel sad. And she's like, okay. And then he's like, can I go outside and sit under a tree like the boy? Oh, she's like, okay, sure. So he goes, he sits under the tree, uh, like the boy, and he sits and he feels sad and just cries a little bit under the tree by himself. And then eventually, the teacher walks over and she's like, How are you feeling now? He's like, I still feel sad. 
And she's like, okay. So she's like, do you want me to hold your hand? And he's like, okay. And I guess another kid in the class ended up having a little boo-boo. So the teacher's walking over the first aid kit to their kid. And she's bringing Silas along with him. And she's like, okay, well, this other kid needs some help. And he's like, okay. And she takes out the different things out of the first aid kit. One of the things in the first aid kit was a tongue dep depressor. And she picks it up and she's like, oh, okay. And Silas looks at it and he says, huh popsicles because it's a tongue depressor so it looks like <laughs> sure and he says popsicles popsicles makes me happy mm. Mm. popsicles i like popsicles ha ah, so happy and he puts a popsicle stick down oh and he walks away and she was like what <laughs> just yeah. happened and I was like, oh, yeah, like that actually, yep, yeah, we do that. Like, <laughs> the idea of sitting with the emotion, mm. letting ourselves fully feel it, yeah. fully engage with it, not running from it. Mm. And as it fully embraces in our body, we let mm. it all go. Wow. And then we go to the next one. And he literally went through all the way through sadness and got to joy. Wow. Just like wow. And she's like, what is this? Like she's like, kids don't do this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard, but it's possible they can. It's just learning how to engage with these emotions that we feel and not pushing them away. Yeah, not rejecting them, but allowing them to sit in our bodies and accepting them as being good mm -hmm. and valuable. And then, as we accept them, expressing them, whether that's through crying through sitting, through walking, whatever movement we need to do, and then letting it go and releasing mm. it from mm. Wow. That teacher's reaction is so hopeful because she got a glimpse of what was possible, not just for your child, but for other children Yeah, to be able to process, to be able to regulate and find peace and to, as they move through all their feelings and are given permission and space and freedom, which has me wondering about what, what are your dreams for this work of, of movement, this, this healing work that you are doing with express and release that you're doing with your children? Um, what would your dream be for your community, for society for the world in terms of the way that we embrace movement yeah that is a beautiful question <laughs> um and i'm going to answer in two parts so first step of this whole thing is i <laughs> a little bit about me so i am a dancer i've been in history my whole life i kind of said that all of this actually happened um, me being who I am, doing all this research, actually started off because my mom at the time, I was 17, and I came to her and I was like, I want to do something dance later when I become an adult. And she looked at me and said, no. Mm. I said, what are you talking about? She's like, dancing is of the devil. Mm. That is a demonic thing that you should not be doing. Mm. And I looked back at her at that moment and I said, why she was like it just is and I was like well I'm gonna change that mm. she was like okay and I was like trust me yeah. I'm going to change that and I basically at that moment got on this path of trying to figure out 
how do I help society, help cultures, help communities learn that they can engage with movement in ways that are beneficial, in ways that are safe, in ways that are accessible, right? Mm. So I have literally been figuring that out for the last 12, 13 years now and finding out different ways that we can offer movement to communities, to hospitals, to spaces to say, hey, I recognize that what we've understood as movement has been ballet and jazz or yoga, but movement is more than that. Mm-hmm. And we can reimagine it in a way that it actually is accessible to every body type, to every person, and, and to every religion. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's where I've been like, that. that's where I want to go. Mm. And a space and a way that gives access to movement to everyone across the world mm. so that they can find healing in their own bodies. Yeah. I'm like, it's, we should not as a society feel this disconnected from ourselves. That when I can ask a client to process fingers to the, the wrist and I say, okay, do your fingers connect to the wrist? And we're just doing simple movements. And they're like, I have no idea. Hmm. And they look at me and they say, that should not be the case. I should be able to feel a connection from my fingers to my wrist, but I don't. Mm-hmm. And that's my problem. And I, and that's where I'm like, we have to get as a society to a space where we see our bodies and we see them as beautiful. Mm. We see, I hear all these people that are like, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to lose weight. I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm like, but are you connected to yourself? Because we can't be healthy if we actually don't love the bodies that we have. Mm. If we're rejecting the bodies that we have, if we're rejecting the emotions that we have, then we are actually not healthy beings. And the only way to become healthier, a healthier society is actually learning how to accept our bodies as beautiful, as perfect, as whole. As, mm. and, and I say perfect, but I mean perfectly imperfect. That we have blemishes and those blemishes are okay. That we have imperfections and there's nothing wrong with them. That we don't need to cut, manipulate, change, shift our bodies. But actually, we can learn how to love our bodies. Mm-hmm. accept them as whole learn how to express ourselves in ways that don't harm ourselves or others or our environment in ways that are not react reactionary to other things to say yeah. okay i'm reacting to the next thing but learning how to become active mm-hmm. in our active in our emotions to say emotions you're allowed to be present that you're allowed to feel peace and joy and then learning how to release those things. And I'm literally doing those in workshops and in classes online and in person. I've started actually licensing other people hmm. to start giving it to others. Cause I'm like to actually create a movement of movement. Yeah. It does not end with me. Yeah. I might be starting it, but hmm. I'm like the only way for this actually to change the culture is to give it to everyone, as many people as I can, and say, if you have a desire to offer this to your clients, to your families, to students, to kids, come, I will teach Mm. you, I will show you, I will give you all the things that I know, and I will cater it to kids and uh, the disabled population and senior citizens and 
all different spaces and say, we can engage with movement in every single space. And as we do that, let's just watch how our mental health changes. Mm. So much has been going on in society and in the news that says, oh, we're in a mental health crisis. Yeah. The current statistic is that 50 million Americans are suffering a mental illness. Yeah. And they define mental illness as so many different things, whether bipolar, depression, anxiety. But those are 50 million Americans that we know of. Right. There's so many that we don't know that are suffering from anxiety or depression um, every day. But we shouldn't be there. And part of it is COVID kind of got us there and COVID made us sit with all these emotions alone by ourselves. And it kind of created this crucible for our mental health. But now becomes a question of, well, how do we address it? Mm. Because what we're doing is not enough. Mm -hmm. So what else do we need to add into our mental health sphere and our mental health scape to start saying, let's give more, let's offer more because people need more. Yeah. I'm like anyone, anywhere, I will give everything I got to you. I will give I, I do private sessions. I might come on in. We'll do one-on-one if you're just like, hey, I don't want to do this in a group. I want to just try this with myself. Mm-hmm. I want to see how my body feels. I want to find some safety in myself. I'm like, yes, we'll sit one-on-one and find an individualized plan for you. Mm-hmm. If you're like, I want to be in a community. I want to know what it feels like to process an emotion with a community, whether that's anger or joy or sadness and, and give a language as a community of an emotion then yeah, we have online classes, in-person classes. And if you're just like, I want to do this. I want to be licensed. I want to do what you do. I want to go everywhere and have students and classes and everything. Come on down. I got you too. Anyway, mm. want to engage with this type of stuff. I am all about it. So where can people find you to join you, to move with you? Yes, um, you can find me at Express n the letter n release.com um you'll find my website there and you can also um find us on facebook and instagram at express and release and then you can also email me if you're just like i want to reach out to you personally at gabby g-a-b-b-y at express and release.com amazing i hope that listeners will do that i've personally taken a class with you and found it to be such a healing experience and a reconnecting experience with my own body and with this imagination of a different world. And so I see you as the soulful revolutionary who is inviting folks into a healing journey that is not only about individual healing, but is about the sense of collective healing and freedom and liberation from all the stories that we've told ourselves about not belonging to our bodies, not belonging to one another, not belonging to ourselves. And so I thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. Oftentimes I don't see myself as a social revolutionary, but as I talk, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am trying to you know, like, make a revolution right yes. now. So. <laughs> You're doing the good work and thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for listening to A Soulful Revolution. If you enjoyed this podcast, we are made possible entirely by listeners like you. You can support this work by becoming a subscriber on Substack or by leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. See you next time.